Good morning. When I was a student, both in high school and in college, I had um, opportunity to work on school newspapers. And one of the things I got to do at times was write. You guys remember what newspapers are? <laughs> and I, I got the task a few times to uh, write headlines. Now, this was in the day, you know, this is ancient history. This is like before websites and things like that. And so you write a headline. It's a really challenging thing to do because you're given, you know, these space limitations, so many columns and so many lines, and you've got to come up with something that summarizes, you know, what that story is all about, the main conclusion, so on. And boy, it's tricky because you're trying to fit these words in and get the right words and make it, and sometimes <laughs> headlines don't always come out all that great. So I get, I get the challenge of writing a good headline. But have you ever encountered a headline that when you read it, you just, it kind of makes you just scratch your head and go, what? I, I have a few of those. I just think they might kind of explain what I'm talking about here. So let's, let's go to the first one. These are actual headlines. Okay, these are real. I, I swear I did not make these up. Here's the first one. Utah Poison Control Center reminds everyone not to take poison. <laughs> that makes sense. That's, that's good. This, this next one. Homicide victims rarely talk to police. <laughs> now you have to think about that. You know what homicide is, right? Somebody's died. The victim is dead. Okay. Next one. State population to double by 2040, babies to blame. Those babies just don't know what they're doing. And this one. Alton attorney accidentally sues himself. Where is Alton? Does anybody know where Alton is? I don't think I'm going there for legal advice um, if I need it. Okay, and this last one. Bugs flying around with wings are flying bugs. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. Well, those are kind of funny, but this next one isn't. It really isn't. But it, it did cause me to... Uh, to ask, what? Then it caused me to ask something else, too. Um, but this is real, and this helps explain uh, the new series that we're beginning today. This comes from the website of Time Magazine Online. It was dated February 3rd, 2016, and it says this. Ethicists say it's okay to make embryos from three parents. Now, that not only makes me ask, what? Uh, it raises a far bigger question. Who says? Who says? I, who are these ethicists who say that this is okay? You realize what you're talking about here, right? We're talking humans. We're embryo. We're talking unborn babies. And these ethicists say it's okay to make a baby from three parents. 
Who says? What gives them the right to say that? And on what basis did they reach that conclusion? Who says? Two short words that form a huge question. One of the most important questions you and I ever can ask or answer. Because when you ask the question, who says, what you're really asking is, who decides? Who decides what's okay and what isn't? Who decides what's good, what's bad? Who decides what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what isn't? Who says really means who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? And here's the thing. This is an issue you and I face all the time. All the time. This is one of life's most persistent questions. Now, usually, it's not so blatantly weird as as ethicists say it's okay to make embryos from three parents. I doubt you ever even wondered if that was okay before you came in here this morning. But as you live your life, you are going to be confronted all the time, all the time with choices. Choices about what's good, what isn't, what's right, what isn't, what's true, what isn't. And in order to decide, in order to make the choice, you first have to decide who gets to decide. Who gets to decide? Who's the authority in your life? Do you? Somebody else? Is it the majority voting? Is it the U.S. Supreme Court? Someone else you admire, look up to? Who decides? Who gets to decide? Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm aware that most of you in this room are, and if you're, you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you're here and listening and, and get to interact with us on this. Um, but if you're a believer in Jesus, you need to understand that the way Jesus answers this question, who gets to decide, is very different from the way the world answers this question. Uh, take a look at something Jesus said to his disciples in John thirteen thirteen. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Now, just think about what he's saying here. Do you see that he's saying that the correct answer to the question, who gets to decide, is he does? I mean, that's what it means for him to be our teacher and Lord. He's saying, I'm the one who decides. I get to decide. But as you well know, we live in a world where we are constantly encountering ideas and opinions and thoughts and statements that do not agree with what Jesus says. And let me just point out a couple of things that Jesus and the Bible teach, and I purposely chose things that are controversial so we could see, so you can see the point. Uh, This one, for example... Go to the first one. Marriage is meant to be a lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. The Bible teaches that. Jesus teaches that. Or this one. Sexual activity should be reserved for marriage only. Or this one. You must forgive those who wrong you. 
or this. Wanting to be rich. Who wants to be a millionaire? Wanting to be rich is a foolish and harmful desire. Try putting any of those statements on Facebook and see how long it takes for somebody to challenge you. For somebody to basically say, oh yeah? Who says? See, if you believe that Jesus gets to decide, how do you relate to people, how do you relate in a culture that doesn't believe that? See, these are some of the issues that we are going to be exploring as we go through this series, who says. And you might be surprised to learn where we are going to explore these things. The very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Why, you might ask? Well, it's because in order to answer the question, who says or who gets to decide, Who gets to say what's good, what isn't? Who gets to say what's right, what isn't? Who gets to say what's true, what isn't? In order to answer that question, you have to answer some questions that come first, some foundational, bedrock, basic questions about us and about our world. Like, who are we? What are we? Why are we here? Does life have a purpose? What is it? And how do we know? Why is this world the way it is? Why are you the way you are? Well, those are all Genesis questions. Genesis gives us clear, decisive answers to all of those basic foundational bedrock answers. In order to know who you are and what you are, you need to know what humanity is. If you want to know why you're here and where you're going, what your purpose is, then you need to know where humanity came from and why. And that's why we're going to be spending time in Genesis, because that's where we find the Christian answers to all these questions. But of course, immediately, we run into a massive, massive problem because Genesis is not considered reliable by many, many people. In fact, Genesis is flat out rejected by the majority of well-educated, influential opinion leaders in our culture, in our world. As we're told by our textbooks, we're told by um, science classes, we're told by museums, university professors, nature programs on television, that Genesis is a myth, it's a very old myth, and um, we should not believe what it tells us about anything. We should believe some very different answers to those foundational questions of what humanity is and, and why we're here, where we came from, what our purpose is, and so on. And see, if you, if you go with those answers, you end up in a very different place. You end up with a very different answer to the question, who says? Who gets to decide? Now, in our world, there are basically two different stories about us and about our world, and both claim to be real, and it makes a huge difference which one you believe, which one you go with. And I'll tell you, personally, speaking personally, uh, this is a very personal issue for me because 
when I was in high school, uh, I was a junior, when I was first confronted, I mean, I'd heard both stories, but suddenly there came this crisis when I was in high school where it dawned on me that there was a massive conflict between these two views. Either either I am the result of an intelligent creator's plan or I am the result of unplanned, undirected natural processes. Now, logically, those two options cannot both be true. You cannot be the result of a creator's plan and at the same time be the result of unplanned, undirected natural processes. And as a teenager, that just came to a head and I really struggled big time with whether this Christian message I had come to believe was actually nothing more than a fairy tale. Because the well-respected academic community that I admired and looked up to claimed that all the real evidence pointed to the other story. The story that says I'm simply a complex arrangement of chemicals. Well, you're probably guessing that because I'm here today starting a series of messages based on Genesis, you're probably guessing which story I came to believe is the real story. But I want you to know I don't expect you to take my word for it. Now, it'd be great if you did. I, I want you to believe what I'm going to tell you. And I've I got to tell you, I think it really matters. I think it matters a lot more than many people think it matters. But I don't expect you to take my word for it. But here's what I, what I do think you need to do. You need to think about it seriously. Because the implications, the implications of which story you believe for your life, the implications are huge. And I think it's affecting a whole lot more people in our culture and our world a lot more than people tend to want to admit. So here's the plan. The plan is, in this message, in this message is introduction to the series, I want to show you how Genesis answers just those, those foundational bedrock questions. And then I want to show you how different those answers are from the from the conventional, you know what I mean by conventional, the, the kind of culturally accepted answers. And then I'm just going to challenge you to think about which set of answers makes the most sense. Which answers seem to fit best with the way life really is. The way you are the way the world really is. In other words, which set of answers is the most consistent with how life actually is? Okay, that's my challenge. And then next week, the plan is to show you some reasons why you can take Genesis seriously in spite of all the objections raised by very intelligent people who say it's just a fairy tale. And I also want to give you some resources to pursue that question further if you'd like. And then we'll launch into an exploration of the question, who says. But we've got to get this foundational stuff dealt with first.
Okay, so here, today, basic questions that we need answered. Basic questions. So these are those foundational questions I'm talking about that you have to answer before you can really answer the question, who says, who gets to decide. Okay, first question. What are you? What are you? Now, I'm intentionally not asking the question, who are you? Because the fact is, if you answer that question, ask the question that way, you're already making an assumption. You're making an assumption that you're a person and not just a thing. The conventional answer gives us no reason to think that. The conventional answer to the question, what are you, is that you are a highly complex but unplanned arrangement of chemicals. You are what you are as a result of natural processes over the centuries that turned one organism into all of the living things we see today, including you. Now, you're a complicated organism. You're complicated. You are a sophisticated collection of biochemical reactions. But ultimately, that's all you are. That is the conventional mainstream answer. What's the Genesis answer? Genesis 1.27. So God created man, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the Genesis answer is you are a creation. Mankind was created by God in his image, and you are part of his creation. You are part of the human family that he made. And because you bear the image of God, you are a who, not, not just a what. You're a person. You're a person who can know other persons, and you're a person who can be known by other persons. Okay, you see how different those answers are? Are you a complex arrangement of chemicals, unplanned, undirected processes led to you, or are you a person created in the image of God? Two very different answers. Second question, why are you here? I don't mean why are you here in this room. I mean, why are you here at all? Why do you exist? What is your purpose? What is your purpose? And the conventional answer is, you don't really have one. You don't have a purpose. I'm serious. That's the conventional answer. You are here simply because of an unplanned interaction of molecules, period. That's it. Which means you have no actual purpose. Now I'm going to quote from Dr. Richard Dawkins, who's one of the most influential spokesmen for the conventional academic viewpoint. This is how he puts it. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what the universe is. It's just blind physical forces and genetic replication. Some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, 
and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. That's the conventional answer to why you're here. You just are. That's it. Now, I'm not sure most people who adopt the conventional academic answer actually think it through as thoroughly as this quote reveals, but that's the logical conclusion. You have no purpose, you're just here. Now, I just want to jump right in and show the problems with this statement, but I'm, I'm going to restrain myself and try not to get ahead of myself. I'm just trying to show you what the answer is that they give. What's the Genesis answer? Well, Genesis 1.28 gives us a glimpse. It's the beginning. The, the answer is going to be unpacked throughout the book, and that's one of the things we're going to be exploring. But, but this gets us started, okay? So this, our purpose is bigger than this verse, but it gets us started. And God blessed them, humanity, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And what I just want to point out is that your purpose is to experience the blessing of your creator by fulfilling his design, his purpose for your life. Now, there's a lot that we need to explore here, but that's the foundational principle. Basically, you get your purpose from the one who made you. You get your purpose from your creator. And his intention was blessing. So you see the two differences, the different answers. You have no purpose or you do have a purpose. You just exist. No, you exist because God created you and had a purpose in mind when he did so. Third question, foundational question. Why is life both good and bad? Why is life both good and bad? I think most people sense that it is. That there are really good things in this world. There are good things that happen. And there are just awful things in this world. Awful things that happen. Why is life like that? Why is it both? You know, the fact that there's a lot of bad, the fact that there's a lot of brokenness, in this world is a major reason why many people doubt that God exists, or if he does exist, they doubt that he's good. That's a faulty conclusion, and here's why. And I don't have time to explore it in detail, but let me just say it. If there is no God, if there is no ultimate standard of good, then that means there's really no such thing as bad. And that's the conventional answer, actually. Good and evil are just ideas we make up. They have no real meaning. It's just a matter of personal preference. I mean, you might feel today as you're sitting there, you might feel that your life's messed up in some way, or you might know someone and you think, man, their life's messed up. It's just, it's just messed up. Um, And you might wonder why, but the conventional answer is, you know, that's just the way it goes. Bad things are not really bad. That's just, you know, the roll of the cosmic dice. 
Remember what Dawkins said. No design, no purpose, no evil, no good. He didn't say that by accident. Well, he did, if he's consistent with his own view. But he intentionally stated that. No purpose, no design, no good, no evil. If he's right, when you feel that something's wrong, it's just in your head. Anything that's happening in this world today that you really think is evil and should not be done, nope, it's just a matter of preference. The Genesis answer is very different. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he made. Behold, it was very good. That's where goodness comes from. Now, God made everything good. Then in chapter 3, humanity rejects God's good design. In verse 17, God says to the man, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So the reason we die, the reason we struggle... The reason that life is both good and bad, according to Genesis, is because we are both blessed and cursed. God created us His image, blessed us with His good purposes, we rebelled, and the results have been nothing short of absolutely devastating brokenness. So life, life is both good and bad because we are both good and bad. You know, sometimes people ask that question. Well, you think people are basically good or basically evil? Yes. Both. Brings us to one more question. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? If you ask a thoughtful honest believer in naturalism. That, that's the conventional academic viewpoint, by the way, naturalism. In other words, nat- nature's all there is. That's it. If he's consistent, he'll say something like this quote from Dr. William Provine, professor of biological sciences at Cornell University. He says, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. And again, I just want to leap in and say something, but okay. Let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain I'm going to be dead. That's the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics. Ethics, that's good and evil stuff, right and wrong stuff. No ultimate meaning to life. And no free will for humans either. And what he means by that is you don't actually make choices. You've never made a free choice in your life. You're just acting on your genetic programming. Which means, of course there's no hope. In fact, the very question has no meaning. Because life has no meaning. 
What a dumb question. Stop asking it. Now, most people who believe in naturalism will not say this as bluntly as he does. Because it's really hard to get people excited about this point of view. If you think it through. But that is the logical conclusion of their story. But most people can't accept it because you really can't live that way. I frankly don't think Dr. William Provine can live that way consistently. You can't consistently live as if everything you do is completely pointless. And there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's nothing, no value. You have no value. We're just molecules occupying space. That's all it is, if he's right. What's the Genesis answer? Yes, there is hope. Yes, there is hope because the Creator who blessed us at creation wants us to know Him and enjoy His blessing once again. In fact, He has made a promise to bless all those who place their trust in Him. Genesis 12.3, God makes a promise to a man named Abram. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God fulfilled this promise to Abram through one of Abram's descendants, someone named Jesus. And Jesus is the one, descendant of Abram, Jesus is the one who connects us to our Creator and His blessings. So, ask yourself, which story answers those foundational questions in a way that fits the way life really is? Does the story of undirected natural processes producing chemical reactions that somehow resulted in you The story that says that you have no real value, no real purpose, there's nothing actually good or evil about you, you make no real choices, you have no hope for the future, does that actually fit how you really think, what you really believe about your life? Does it match up with the way people really are? Personally, I agree 100% with John Piper on this when he says this. He says, I find it incredible, and by incredible he means not believable. I find it incredible that the human drama of the centuries with its quest for meaning and beauty and truth has no deeper root than molecular mutations. Think about it. Think about it deeply. I challenge you to think about it prayerfully because it really matters. Now, you might have many questions about Genesis and its reliability, and I hope that this series will help you find good answers to those. But in my opinion, the answers Genesis gives us about the foundational questions of life are far more consistent with the way life really is than the other view. We feel our lives matter. 
we are more than just molecules in motion. We, we sense, we believe that our lives have some kind of purpose, and we believe that though something is drastically wrong with us in our world, there's got to be an answer. There's got to be a way to answer that question, who says, in a way that is good and right and helpful and true. Genesis will show us what that answer is. So stay tuned. Let's pray. Father, this morning I am just so grateful that you have given us the answers that we need. And I recognize that to embrace your answers is to put ourselves at odds with so much that is so well accepted and promoted and, and admired. And um, and yet, I want to know the truth. And I believe the people in this room want to know the truth. And we want to understand. And so, Lord, will you help us as we embark on this journey Will you help us to discern what our value, our purpose, our meaning is? Will you help us come to embrace what you have said about us and the hope that you've given us in Jesus? Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who is just really wrestling with these questions and wondering, Lord, that you will answer all their questions and you will satisfy their hearts. And Lord, you will help all of us find our purpose, our significance, and that joy that we just keep thirsting for, no matter how often we try to pretend it's not there. Lord, will you satisfy us as you alone can, as our creator, as our good God. And Lord, we ask you to lead us and use us. Help us to be a, uh, a people who can interact in this world and share the hope that you've given us so that people can have it and not despair. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.